So general advice that I think people give, though I'm not giving medical advice here, to be clear. That's the one thing they teach you is be clear when you're giving advice. (laughs) Nor legal advice. I'm giving you absolutely nothing important on this podcast. No substance whatsoever that you can rely on. That's okay. I'm Um, the same on this podcast. So we're both. Welcome to What's Law Got to Do With It? A lighthearted look at life in law school. I'm Professor Richard Haig and my guest is today there you are dylan. uh yeah hi i'm uh dylan yan i've been on the podcast a couple times uh i am a transfer student from osgood to mcgill uh and i also work as richard's um research assistant uh for a project that he has and i guess most importantly for the topic of the podcast today i was recently diagnosed with adult adhd Wow, that's a lot to handle. Everything else is uh, is there and it's good. And we know all about that, Dylan. The fact that you're my research assistant has not been lost on me. I, <laughs> we've actually been doing a fair bit together. So that's good. But this, you're right. The reason why you added that at the end is, do you think there's a lot of students who might have ADHD? Let's just get right into it. You- yeah. Um, so from what I know about ADHD, which is not a ton, the penetrance of the population is about like four to 5%. So if you look at a room of law students and you're like, okay, there's about what, 120 kids in in a section at Osgood. According to the math, (laughs) um, not adjusting for any other factors, about six of them should have ADHD. Like that's that's the the proportion that you're kind of expecting. I'm not sure if it's greater or lower in law school. Um, I'm actually gonna leave that question up to you whether you've noticed that throughout the years. Well, no, that's a good, I I don't really, uh, I have to say, I don't really notice one way or the other because, you know, typically you're lecturing, people are listening. Uh, And it's only if if something comes up that I kind of twig to, oh, this is, that's, there's something going on there. But no, I don't normally notice. But I wondered, what I was going to say is, I wonder if people who are sort of higher achievers getting to law school, getting to med school, I wonder if there is a skewing or a bias even in even greater numbers perhaps or i don't know if you know any you don't know anything like any stats related to that do you? i know that there's a correlation between like iq and the time at which you get diagnosed so maybe like the cohort of like med or law students has a higher proportion of people who get diagnosed later in life um but i, I would also be surprised because if you think about the way that the law is structured and especially legal education is structured it's not incredibly friendly uh to someone with an attention deficit for lack of a better term, right? Like think about all of the brutal cases that you assign to people and you go, this is boring. I struggle to read this as a neurotypical person who studies law. Right. So what, how is a, how is somebody with ADHD going to cope with these boring cases? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, maybe there are people out there with different experiences than me, but I just couldn't do it. Like, I remember like the first week of law school at Osgood where I showed up to it, had all these readings. I'd like try to stay on top of them for the first week. And I found that I was like reading them fine because I could like go through them and, and, and read them, but I wasn't actually reading the paper. I was just like, my brain was clocked out and my eyes were doing the skimming. And I was convincing myself that I was reading because I had like some vague recollection, but I wasn't reading substantively, right? It's, it's just like going through the motions. Yeah. Okay. Was there a trigger for you that led you to think I better get myself tested? I really am. I, and was it was it law school related, or was it just age and stage in life related? Or 
I mean, maybe part of it was like being older and kind of figuring it out. But I think for the most part, it was law school related because I just, I just never had to read things that I hated before. I'd always had the freedom to choose what I studied. And I really studied uh, science before I came to law school. And in high school, everything's kind of fun and new and interesting. So it's not that hard to engage with the material. Um, but law school was the first time, especially transferring, was the first time where I was forced to just grind through boring information. Or in my case, take 1L, all of your regular subjects, and then go back and do the same stuff over again because your tra your transfer credits don't count. <laughs> Maybe that's anybody that transfers and has to repeat is going to have to seriously look into their own mental health. But, you know, I wonder that what you just said uh, applies to all law students, not just those with ADHD, but the fact that you're having to read sometimes dull stuff that's an extended dull stuff, right, is actually, it's, it's, uh, it's an important part of law school and everybody needs to realize that. And I think that, uh, you, know, you know, that it, regardless of your mental health, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's kind of the interesting thing, right? Like ADHD in terms of the things that I struggle with, I struggle with the same things that everybody else struggles with, but just to a different degree, right? Like, I mean, if we're talking, if we're talking from like a biological perspective, ADHD is just a lack of uh, dopamine regulation for, for task management. And so I just don't get any reward for sticking with a boring task that I don't have another reason to be doing. Um, and so it was hard for me to like understand, cause it's like a, it's a, it's like a, this is water kind of problem where you don't really know that you have ADHD because you, you've never really lived life in any other way. And it's never really been a problem before for me. Um, right. Right. And so I'd be comparing myself to all of these law students who are like grinding. And I thought I was just a lazy guy. I thought like, hey, like you just can't read this stuff because you're not trying hard enough. And I see everyone showing up to class every day. And I'm like, wow, that seems just completely untenable uh, from my perspective. Like I can't even imagine sitting still in a class for an hour and a half uh, much unless I'm, you know, causing a scene and being completely rambunctious. Um, yeah, I don't know. So it, I, I'm not trying to conclude that thought, but basically like it's just it's weird to think of myself as someone who has. I guess what you call a learning disability. Like that still doesn't sit right with me. That doesn't feel genuine. I feel like I'm lying to people when I say it, even though I have like a medical diagnosis and I have medications for it. I have the whole slew of, of things of proof that I can point to and be like, hey, look, this test says I have it. This specialist says I have it. It feels, I don't know, just not genuine. Right. Well, and then it's still early days. So maybe it's just, I mean, you listen, you've decided to come on the podcast and talk about it. So you're clearly, you know, in, in a way you're trying to normalize it or at least let people know that it's not a, you know, it, you're not alone. If there are other students out there like you, be aware that uh, this is, it's out there. And, and if, it can be dealt with, right? Yeah, I think if there are other students like me, like I think a lot of them will have been diagnosed before they came to law school. And they're probably just rolling their eyes at me right now if they're listening to this. Because I think that everyone, like as someone who's diagnosed with ADHD, I think your first step is just to tell everyone because you're excited about it. Um, and, and then you kind of get used to it and you stop telling people because just so much effort to go through the same motions again and again and again. But while the information is new and it's, and it's, it's novel, that's like the kind of magic word, um, you just, you, you, you bounce it off of everyone. There's kind yeah. of no filter associated with it. <laughs> so, so the the ADHD helps you get it out there. It's part. Oh, of absolutely! It. <laughs> it's like it's like a cliche. Like like people make fun of. I guess within the community, people make fun of it because it's just like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm hi, I'm Dylan. I have ADHD. It just was my bit, right? Because it, it makes all of my like social interactions a little bit easier when people realize 
oh, I, I understand that he's going to, I have to change a little bit of my behavior, like not a massive amount, but like slight modulations in terms of like the behavior I will accept and also the way I convey information in order to have this person understanding. <clears throat> right, right. So do you do any of that? That's actually a better question. Do you change, have you changed the way you have, you have uh, given me information or spoken to me after the diagnosis? No, not really. I don't think so. Cause I, I, uh, but that, that's good. Do you think, <laughs> should I? Well, no. first of all, first of all, I'm not your teacher anymore. So there's a different, different relationship, right? Um, and I think it, it, as an RA, you're not my only RA. So we, uh, just to let people know, we have, we have Zoom conversations with the RAs and Dylan is one amongst say four or five. And I think they all think you're a little bit unique, shall we say? Because uh, they don't, they've never really met you face to face, right? They just know you from Zoom. And so there's, uh, but I don't know if you've told them that you have ADHD. Have uh, is that, uh, that group might be? Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe I didn't. It's one of those things that if I don't tell them to people initially, I will expect that I had. I because it's part of the introduction bit, like I did for the podcast. Like I have ADHD, and if I haven't told that to people, I expect them to know it, which is really funny because sometimes I haven't you know, slips my mind or whatever. And so I'm just kind of crazy and, and just being myself and people are like something's going on. Something smells funny here, but I don't know what it is. Right. Right. And, I, and I'll tell my, my listeners that, so this, this podcast with just Dylan is going to come on and then uh, we'll, I'm going to have a podcast in the next one. After this, we'll have Dylan with the, his other friends from Osgood and we'll see how that interaction goes. But as, but as far as your earlier question, I haven't really answered, which is, do I treat you differently now that I know that you have ADHD versus before? I actually don't think so. Although the, the, the one thing that I know I do differently is been told you told me to do it, which is true. Give you, give me hard deadlines. I'm no good at loosey goosey Richard <laughs> telling me, Oh, just do it whenever you can. Cause I won't do it. And so I've learned to be very much strict with you that I, yeah. I wouldn't be. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like a strictness out of love. It's for my own good. Right. Because the, the it's it's funny because the, the I, like, I think about motivation and that's kind of like what it influences a lot of my life is like motivation for doing basic tasks or doing the things that are hanging over my head that I've had might not have been putting off for weeks. Right. Like the I'm not sure how to say this, but it's really, really difficult to regulate what I focus on. I would say that ADHD is a bit of a misnomer if you take it as the acronym's literal meaning, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Because yeah, I guess I'm hyperactive in some contexts, and I guess I do have a deficit of attention in some contexts, but it's mostly just a lack of regulation of that attention. Okay. So if you give me if you give me a task and it's new or it's interesting or something, I don't even know, I, I'm not in control of this. My brain can latch onto it and I will think about nothing but that topic, that task, that homework assignment for the next week and a half and I will obsess over it. And then other times you can give me a basic task like, hey, uh, uh, can you grab me a glass of water? And I will walk into the kitchen and I will I, it'll just fall out of my brain and I'll come back and I'll be juggling or I'll be you know stick handling with a hockey stick or I'll be playing on my phone. What was Anything I supposed but. to be doing? Yeah, what was you didn't do what you were supposed to do <laughs> in that situation? Yeah, so that that obviously is can be hard though when you're because uh, it university life uh, in general and law school in particular is highly regulated, right? And so you, you there are these milestones you've got to meet, and I I can see how it would be very difficult for. Students. So you you mentioned earlier about a lot of people, but listen that already uh, well 
will, if they do have it, will already have been diagnosed. But I'm thinking about the students who don't really know they have it, right? And what can they learn from you? What are there things like indicators? What is it that you might want to tell people to be aware of? Uh, and now I'll add the context that, that I would, th all law schools, I'm positive of this across the country would have supports for, for that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to kind of dissect in that question. Yes. But the first thing is diagnose, diagnostic indicators that I've experienced that probably should have, you know, like clued in earlier. Um, so for me, I kind of like look back and I have the benefit of, of retrospect, obviously, and of hindsight, sorry. And I'm, I'm looking back at everything and I'm saying, I should have caught this earlier. Like when I was a kid, I would get up and I would not sit still in class. I would get up and I would wander around the classroom. My grades are pretty good. So the teachers didn't really care. I wasn't disruptive per se. I just didn't sit in my seat. And so I would have a bunch of like accommodations just to deal with me, uh, and so they would say, okay, Dylan, you can walk around the room, but you have to be helping your friends with their schoolwork. And that was totally fine for me. I would just walk around to the different desks and like kind of help them out or whatever. Um, uh, the other big indicator for me is my lack of commitment to different activities. So I'll start anything you give me. You want me to be a tap dancer. You want me to sing. You want me to be a rock climber, like a, a gymnast, whatever it is. I will start a task and I will love, I'll love the hobby for, I don't know, a month. And yep. as soon as I get to the point in the hobby where you need to repeat sit, like the same activity to get better at it, the only way to get better through it is repetition. I will usually drop it if there's, there's no novelty associated with it. So when I was a kid, I went through like drumming, gymnastics, uh, taekwondo, judo, jujitsu, fencing, guitar, <laughs> drums, uh, gym, <laughs> like, like track and field. I threw the javelin. There's all these weird, wacky hobbies that I picked up for a month and a half. And I was like, this is great. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then I dropped it a month and a half later and haven't touched it since. Right. Throwing the javelin. That is, uh, that not many people ever do that. That's <laughs> pretty wild. Well, I was going to say, I, you know, you mentioned earlier about how you used to just kind of wander around in class, in classrooms, or you didn't, couldn't sit I really, I, I came across this book recently called The Extended Mind. I don't know if you know this person, Anne, Anne, uh, Annie, Paul, Annie Paul, who's an academic. Anyway, what, one of the things she was saying was that sitting and learning from a desk, as every school and every university in the world does, is completely contradictory to the best way that humans learn, which is to walk around and be mo be mo she talks about how the mind and the physicality of the body are so interconnected and the neuroscience have told us more much more so than we thought that you would actually be better off learning by being by not sitting people down in desks. So maybe you're just ahead of the curve here. <laughs> maybe I am. I mean, when I think about learning, like as it applies, like a classroom setting, I think about the way that like I take in information, and I keep it in my head. And it's usually not through the structured lesson. Like it's, it's usually in like the interactions with my friends um, or yeah, that's, that's basically it. I would say that like, I try to find ways to kind of like hack my way into focusing on a material and getting interested in it. And one of the many ways to do that is just to have friends who are interested in the subject. And then you're, you have to learn it in order to engage with them. Right. Right. Um, right. So if I am in, I don't know, if someone's interested in criminal law, like my friend Shay is, I guess we meet her next week on the, on the podcast, if you're listening. Um, she is someone who I would just be like messaging in our group chat with, and we'd be making jokes about the cases. And that's how I would learn criminal laws is through those interactions with Shay and what she thought about the cases, because she has all this information just floating around in her head. Right, um, right. Yeah. No, but in terms of like 
sitting down in a classroom and, and learning, I, I feel like that's, that's something that I always thought that I was doing in terms of my process, but I never actually was. Cause when I stopped going to class and I started, you know, using lecture recordings, when I got to university, I found that I learned better in that format. I would just rip through them on three times speed or two and a half times speed or whatever. And that was the easiest way to digest information. Cause there's no awkward pauses. You're always onto something else. And even if everyone sounds like Alvin and the chipmunks, the information is, is steady and it's new and there's always something coming up. Yeah. Well, so you found ways of coping, as you say, but, um, and then there's also pharmacology, right? That also helps. I, I understand, although, yeah, you might want to explain a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to feel about the idea of, of pharmaceutical help for, for ADHD, because on one hand, when it works, it's, it's fantastic and it's amazing, but there are all these other side effects associated with medication. It's basically a case by case basis. So the general advice that I think people give, though I'm not giving medical advice here, to be clear, that's the one thing they teach you is or, be nor clear legal. when you're giving advice, <laughs> <laughs> nor legal advice. I'm giving you absolutely nothing important substance. on this podcast, no substance whatsoever that you can rely on. That's okay. I'm um, the same on this podcast. So we're both in <laughs> From my understanding, the general advice is try medications and if it works for you, fantastic. Or you find the one that works for you, then that's great. But if it doesn't work for you, then that's okay because it's a large portion of the population for which it doesn't work. The interesting thing is what that medication is because if you have a lack of dopamine in your brain, the obvious solution to that is to flood your brain with dopamine um, or in, in colloquial terms, get you high. Like it doesn't feel, I don't feel like I'm taking some sort of drugs when I am taking them, even though I am currently trying an amphetamine um, or a dextroamphetamine, there is a difference, uh, subtle, doesn't matter. The pharmaceutical aspect is really weird because something, the same substance that is going to have Richard Haig lying on the floor, swimming, just completely out of his mind, is going to allow me to sit in a class, focus, and it feels it makes my brain so much more efficient in terms of what it can do. And all these tasks that I really struggle with, like sending an email without medication takes me about 45 minutes, I would say. I sit down and I have to think of all the different rules that go into sending an email because all these unwritten rules that are utterly ridiculous. Um, and then I have to write it out and then I have to double check and make sure that I have said what I wanted to say in economic fashion, that everything flows and that it feels genuine to me because that's the most important thing when I communicate with people for whatever reason. Right. Um, but on medication, it takes like 10 seconds. I'm like, oh, this is an email. I know how to write this. And it's, it's just weird to me that, that certain things I, I really struggle with. Right. Um, I did not know that about, AD, well, about ADHD in general and you and specifically that if that's the case, then it, then it creates huge inefficiencies, right? As you, cause you're, you're overthinking basically everything in a sense, right? Like sending a basic email, if it takes you 45 minutes, no wonder. Anyway, I, I don't know. I just think, uh, there's so many things come out of that uh, that I could ask you. One of which is, wouldn't you have known that? Like when people said when you were 12 years old, oh, I just send a quick text and you going, no, I can't. Uh, what? I can't send a quick text. Like, it, I, I don't know. It just seems like it might have come up earlier or. Well, the, the answer is that like in forums or in, in media where I'm allowed to express myself as I think of things and the way that I feel is natural, it's not hard at all. So I can send you a text and I can actually send you an email, Richard, in 10 seconds flat. Oh, okay, because we have a because, relationship, you mean, yeah. Because I know that no matter what ridiculous thing I say, you're gonna excuse it, which is wonderful. I really appreciate that. Um, but I can't send an email in a professional uh, setting because dean. I can't just, yeah, because yeah. I'll get fired. I'll get kicked out of whatever institution <laughs> I, I'm in if I'm not 
it's not that I'm saying anything completely offside. It's that I break, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so the answer is basically it is when I have to modulate my behavior, it's, it's really difficult. So when I have arguments in a classroom setting, I really love it. So I really love getting into it with, with uh, Professor Hutchinson, who I had for ethics, because I disagreed with him on a bunch of things, but it was really fun to debate him in class. Um, but as soon as I had to like moot in a formal context, uh, it was impossible. I, 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 I was stumbling over my own words. I, I mooted with one of my friends who was like, I assume Dylan would be great because he speaks really well in class and, and things go well there. And as soon as you took me out of that context and forced me to formalize what I was saying and add terms like justices, which is just a lie. I know that I'm lying to you, but that extra layer of thought meant that I just like, I couldn't even get a sentence out. Right. I just sounded like I was rambling. I sounded completely incoherent. So, okay, so the, the context is all important then, clearly, right? And uh, yeah, and I guess you alluded to that earlier. When you're with friends, it's very different than when you're in a more professional setting. But, you know, law school, that's, there's a lot of that. A lot of law school is just professionalism training, right? And that's, uh, that's probably the hardest part for you then, not the substance of learning the law. I would say I spend more time preparing for any sort of meeting that I might have than I do preparing for school on any given day. Just the idea of just like meeting someone in a formal context is, is it's a lot to think about. Like it's a lot to work with. And you have to think about, like, I, I try to think about like, it sounds, I sound like a sociopath when I say this, but I, I like to think about topics that I know they're going to want to talk about. And I have to think about ways to introduce the topics. And I think about ways to segue in between the topics and all of these like bits and pieces. It, it's yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like assembling a, a, a conversation and then sticking right. to the script, which is the most efficient way for me to moot, by the way. Well, I figured it out. The secret is to just stick to a script and never deviate from it. Oh, really? But then doesn't, where, where's the spontaneity? Because you, you, uh, you always struck me as having nothing but spontaneity. But again, that maybe I'm, I'm treated differently. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the, well, the spontaneity is one of two things. It's either it's incredibly prepared and, and, and memorized, and I have a section that appears spontaneous to oh. whatever question they're asking. Um, yeah, or, or it gets kind of messy, to be honest with you, in that, in that format, at least. Right. Well, Dylan, that's been very enlightening. I think, uh, <laughs> I think we'll have to have you back again. We have the group one as well, but I, uh, it, there's always so much to talk about with you. And we are about to engage you in teaching my other RA students. So you're putting the very thing to, to, to the test, because <clears throat> I guess you had to prepare for that. I did have to prepare for it a little bit, but it's funny because some things come naturally to me. And for some reason, teaching other people what I'm doing in any context is really easy. It's one of my favorite things to do. I really like the idea of like how you introduce knowledge to people and that just becomes, it just, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not articulating this as well as I would like, but it's one of those things that just kind of flows. It's, right. it's really easy to do. It's, yep. it's in terms of law school, like teaching other people is great. Um, helping other people with their problems seems to be a, a really, a, a process that really works for me. Um, and creative writing is the other thing that really works for me. So whenever I've done really well in a course or something like that, it's always because I've kind of found a way to, to create some ridiculous story that I felt worked within the legal context and then have it kind of bear fruit there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I received some of those and I think they were all very creative and I, there's, there is value in that, I think. So, you know, you could be a, you, with a little bit of, yeah, I don't know how, how, how should I put this? I think you could be a really good advocate 
there'd be some things you'd have to temper a bit, but you know what, when you're talking to a judge, you're really just trying to teach them. You're trying to bring them along to your side of things. And so if you're really teaching something that you already believe in, you probably would do a good job of that. I don't know, just a food for thought. I never thought about advocating as teaching the judge. I always felt, I, maybe this is my fault, but I always imagined that you were arguing with the other side. Like it's, it's a very like adversarial structure that we are introduced at least to like the idea of mooting and, and what have you. But is that how you view it? Like how much? Well, so uh, appellate advocacy is different from trial advocacy, but I do think appellate advocacy, you're trying to, you are trying to educate the judge that you know way more than they do. And so you're trying to bring them along to your side. Now it is adversarial because the other side is trying to do the same thing, but you know what? It's uh, you can just focus on your own side and tell the judge a story and convince them that it's the right one. Anyway, I, maybe that's why you didn't do well in that moot. You took it you took it the wrong way. You framed it wrongly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely bombed the moot and another negotiation competition I did because I didn't understand that the principle of negotiation was to make the, the pie, as they say, bigger, <laughs> bigger. To, to find creative solutions. I didn't think it was a creative exercise. I thought it was like a, a, a regimented us versus them. Okay. And that was totally the wrong mentality. Yeah, it's not a zero sum game. All right. Well, uh, let's send, let's end it off here. <laughs>